I want to start off with the question, what is going on in the body of Christ today? There seems all of a sudden to be a symptom of well-known believers confused about what they believe and who they are in Christ. Folks not just falling away from the faith, but even renouncing Christianity, and they will take a number of believers along for the ride because of their influence. You know, and I'm sure you guys have been reading about this because this is like all over social media. And you, know, you have a guy like Marty Sampson from Hillsong who also writes and sings for Hillsong United, Hillsong Young and Free. And I don't know, soon to be Hillsong used to be going, the way that this guy's going, right? I also read in the magazine Relevant uh, and in the Christian Post that Marty Sampson, who is Hillsong's prolific songwriter, says, I am losing my faith. Can you imagine that? Samson revealed how disillusioned he had become with the Christian faith because of signs and contradictions in the Bible and that he now regarded it as just like another religion. Then you have Pastor Joshua Harris, the author of an influential evangelical book that decried modern dating as a training ground for divorce, has himself renounced his Christian faith. He was the author, and this is going to sound familiar to many of you. He was the author of the 1997 book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, and a former megachurch pastor who wrote in an Instagram post that he lived in repentance for his prior teachings in the church and in his writings. A week prior, he announced that he and his wife of 21 years had separated. Well-known Christians, well-known leaders, influential leaders, household names in the body of Christ— now not sure what they believe in. And let me just say from the onset that there is a big difference between a platform relationship with God and a personal relationship with God. Two very, very big differences. I mean, it is what happens when you have a platform relationship with God as opposed to a word relationship with God. You can have both, but one is supposed to support the other. Okay, when you think about platform, you know, you listen to the word, but you're not hearing it with the intention of understanding it and applying it. Because after church service, how many know that there's always homework? Can I hear any men out there? Not church work. There's always homework. In other words, as we come week after week, receive God's word, it's not just to, now now, now, let me just be very plain here, it's not just to receive the word of God or hear a preaching of the word of God, and then we get to the parking lot and we sort of vomit it out there. In other words, we leave it out there. No, you need to take this thing, let it digest in your mind, in your soul, in your spirit. Let it begin to renew you, to make you all that God intends for you to be, and then you go out and be a light in the darkness. That's what your homework is. And let me tell you, it can happen, though, when you think about all this that's going on, because it's not just them two. There's a number of leaders that are kind of falling on the wayside, and it can happen to any of us if we are not careful who we're listening to and how we respond to what we are listening to. Just because you are on a platform, it doesn't mean you're any closer to God. Just because I'm up here preaching and teaching and I'm, I'm, I'm fulfilling a pastoral role, I am no closer to God than you are because each of us have the same temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that this morning? All of us are a temple of the Holy Spirit. That means every single one of us, listen to this now, is as close to God as you will ever be. The question is, are you paying attention? Turn your neighbor and say, are you paying attention?
Okay? The anointing does not operate on a platform. It operates from the inside of a person, which is why it is hard for me to understand how a person can get to this point in their spiritual walk after they have been indwelled with the Holy Spirit and even filled with the Holy Spirit. How do you get to that moment of doubt? How do you get to that point where you start questioning God and questioning your faith? Let's not forget what the Bible says in John chapter 14, verse 26. It says, but the helper, okay, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. But if you're not taking nothing in, how many of you know there's nothing to bring to remembrance? And I really believe that's where the problem lies. But that's another subject for another day. You want some more of that? You need to come see me every Wednesday at midweek. Amen? I know a cheap little commercial there for midweek. I know I got, but I got it in, right? I got it in. But in light of all this, it is the reason why I want to talk to you today, because that's not really the subject, but I want to talk to you today about how you can avoid these pitfalls, these spiritual pitfalls, by keeping your faith simple. And I want to explain it using the acronym KISS, K-I-S-S, which in Christian terms would probably mean keep it simple silly, but in worldly terms is keep it simple stupid. Amen? Now, I know the, uh, it's funny because the, the, the keep it simple silly uh, is too soft. I think I'm going to use the one stupid, okay? So, uh, just forgive me afterwards because then you'll still go to heaven, okay? All right, so... You, you're going to hear me say, okay, so K-I-S-S, KISS, right? So, and I'm not talking about the rock band, okay? You're going to hear me say KISS it a few times, but please don't get the wrong impression. Just stick to the script that's before you, amen? Okay, just stick to the script. Keep it simple, simple faith, right? Speaking of simple, okay, an elderly woman or an elderly lady was well known for her faith and for her boldness in talking about it. She would stand in her front porch and shout, praise the Lord. Next door to her lived an atheist who would get so angry at her proclamations, he would shout, there ain't no Lord. Hard times had set in on the elderly lady, and she prayed to God to send her some assistance. She stood on her porch, shouted loudly, praise the Lord, God, I need food. I am mourning. The lady, uh, or better in the morning, the lady went out to her porch. That next morning, she went out to her porch. She saw tons of bags of groceries and shouted, praise the Lord. But the neighbor jumped from behind a bush and said, ha, I told you there was no Lord. I bought those groceries. God didn't. The lady started jumping up and down and shouting even louder, praise the Lord. He not only sent me groceries, but he made the devil pay for them. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) Simple faith, right? We need to simplify our faith, and we need to do it in the following three areas. Write the first one down. Simplify your faith with your relationship with God. Simplify your faith with your relationship with God. The premise of this lesson starts with something that I believe to this day many Christians still ignore. While we are fighting, you know, for attention and recognition and visibility and trying to figure out what, you know, what gets God's attention, what gets God's favor, we miss the most simplest of ways of how we can get that done. We pray more, worship more, we read more, and do acts of service thinking that is the means of getting God's attention or even his approval. 
But I believe these are things that are on the surface of the relationship, meaning it's a given that we're going to respond that way. These can be the ends, meaning fruits, but not necessarily the means of getting God's attention, which means our relationship needs to run a lot deeper than that. I want to take you to a scripture. Look it up here on Romans chapter 4, verse 4. Here's what it says. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Man, can I tell you something? If you're here listening to me for the first time, maybe you're here in a setting, you're going to hear me talk about grace, but I want you to think about that one line because it applies to you, but trust God who justifies the ungodly. That's why salvation is by grace, but I'll get to that in a moment. As a matter of fact, even having a great ministry does not mean that you are any closer to God than the average unknown Christian. And what I'd like to do this morning is revisit a scripture that our pastor Santoro used in one of his sermons a few weeks ago. It's found in Matthew 18, 1 through 3. I want to give you a different angle on that verse uh, because I really believe it, it sort of highlights what I'm, the point that I'm trying to make here. And here's what it says in Matthew 18. I'm going to read verse 1. It says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, let me set the scene for you here. Because what is interesting to know is that this question was raised, okay, for similar things that are taking place in the church today. You know, with the apostles getting special revelations and roles of spiritual leadership, it was giving rise to almost like jealous comparisons and petty desires of power. So one is kind of looking what the other one is doing. One is maybe thinking they're more important than the other. So all of a sudden, they want to pose this question to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, you know, in light of everything that we're doing, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Okay, something we see in most churches today. But what is the true key to greatness in the kingdom of heaven? Okay, there are many who are trying to make themselves great, you know, by public prophesying. And I even question, for example, the motive when I see one prophet prophesying over another prophet in public. I mean, can I tell you something this morning to give you some assurance? You don't need a prophet to tell you what you're supposed to be doing and fulfilling for the kingdom of God. Just obey the word. Amen. Just obey the word. That's all you got to do. As a matter of fact, I will tell you that one of the most ignorant and naive things that you can say is, I'm just waiting for a word from God when you haven't even followed through on the few commands he has given you in his book. So let me give you two words. Are you ready? Great commission and great command. Everybody say great commission, great command. You just heard a word from God. Amen? Yeah. Go fulfill it. Start there. Because once you start there, I will assure you, it will open up the floodgates of revelations that God will pour into your life. Because the first thing that he's looking for is obedience. But I want to go back to the question. Who is the greatest? Okay. How would you answer that question? How would you answer that question, for example, if you've never been exposed to the gospel? Let's say you're a Christian, but you've never read the Bible. And all of a sudden, you know, this question is asked, how would you respond to it? How would you, what kind of an answer would you give? So you got to love what Jesus does here because, man, Jesus pulls a stunner, literally pulls a stunner. And here's what he does. Verse 2, okay, 
He called a little child to him. It doesn't say he called a child. It says he called a little child, okay, to him, placed a child among them, in other words, in front of them, and he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Now, please look at clo- closely this scripture because, you know, the Bible is a book of absolutes. The Bible is not a book of suggestions. The Bible is not a book of thoughts, if you will, because if that were the case, then that would mean that we'd be serving an imperfect God. But how many know that God is perfect? So if God is perfect, that means his, his counsel, his commands are also perfect. So when you're reading scripture, now please, please don't miss this. When you're reading scripture, you're going to come across certain things in the Bible that are absolute that you don't just read and say amen to. You got to ask yourself, okay, am I fulfilling this? Is is, is this something that I'm fulfilling? Because look what it says again. It says, uh, he called that little child and he says, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like a little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Come on, folks. I want you to think about that. He has given us the criteria, okay, or the key and how we enter the kingdom of God. So that's a challenge for each and every one of us. Am I changing? Am I becoming? Because if not, Jesus, the man, is saying you can never get in, okay? And it's interesting because you notice how Jesus changes the narrative. These guys are thinking greatness in the kingdom of God. Jesus completely changes the narrative. The disciples' focus was greatness, and Jesus doesn't even address that. He said, huh, well, first you got to get in. Turn it over and say, are you in? Go ahead, ask them. They won't get offended. Don't worry, go ahead, ask them. Are you in? That's the first thing that he's asking. He says, forget about this greatness stuff. You first got to get in, okay? We need to get in. So if you want to start this simplified relationship with him, you need to first find out, how do I get in? Now, can I tell you something? Because one of the things I want to be sure you walk away with today is there is a present day getting in, and then eventually there's an eternal getting in, okay? I want to be sure, though, that we're getting in in the present day. Yes, there is a present day kingdom that we need to be sure that we have entered in, and this is an absolute And here's the thing. It's a brilliant answer because it would apply to everyone hearing my words today, regardless of what your status with Christ is. You could be new. You could be an unbeliever. You could be religious. You can be regular. You could be seasoned. You could even be a leader. But my question is, do you really understand what it means to get in or to enter into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven? I mean, if you are new to this kind of teaching... Well, the teaching has been around for over 2,000 years in that Bible that you have home collecting dust. You got to blow the dust out, amen, and you got to read it, okay, because faith church is not here to teach you religion. Faith church is not here to convert you to faith church. Faith church is not here to make you think we're the only church on the planet and how you can get to heaven. Our objective is to make sure, number one, that you have an encounter with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, okay, number one. And then number two... Okay, we want to make sure that as you are destining yourself to be a winner, the first thing you need to do is be a winner in Christ more than anything. Okay, that is our objective. That is our goal. So just because you have some sort of religious affiliation, it still doesn't mean you are in. As a matter of fact, there are folks that could be attending faith church for months and for years and still have not 
gotten in. Because getting in means you have to be born again. You have to be born again. John chapter 3 verse 3. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. That is another absolute. So I gave you two absolutes this morning. Change and become, number one. And then number two, being born again. That's why, you know, you ha- I got to throw this out there every once in a while. Because if I were to ask you that question, are you saved? The answer to that question is either yes or no. It's not well. Can I hear any man out there? Well is not the answer. Okay. Well, no, well, what? What do you mean? Straightforward question. Are you saved? Yes or no? And if not, then I pray that before you leave today, you become born again so that you can be initiated into the kingdom of God. That's why you got to kiss it. Turn your neighbor and say, kiss it. Girl, you can tell them. They won't get offended. They'll be all right. I'll explain the criteria behind that kiss it thing. Uh, now, now, couples, don't start kissing. That's not the intention. All right. All right. Keep it simple, right? The criteria for getting in is that something in you needs to not only change, but change so that it could become something else. Change so that it could become something else. Greatness can be a byproduct of changing and becoming and entering. But, oh, get this, please. Greatness is not the goal. I know some people might portray it that way. Oh, I can't wait to get big. And G- yeah, I'm going to be famous in the kingdom of God. Who told you that? Wh- where'd you get that from? Okay. You got to love what Jesus says in Matthew 19, 16, and 17. Maybe some of us aren't even aware that this scripture is here. But when you think about being great, when you think about being somebody, right? Look what he says in verse 16, Matthew 19, 16. And behold, one came unto him and said, good master, what good, shall, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Isn't it interesting? Check this out. How you give Jesus a question and he throws you a curveball for an answer. Now, this is a very specific question, right? What good, you know, what do I need to do to make sure that I can inherit eternal life? You think Jesus is going to give him the great commission? No. Look what Jesus said. And he said unto him, why callest me good? There is none but one, and that is God. What a response from the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the, the only begotten Son of God. He said in the criteria already of how you get into the kingdom. And this greatness thing has become somewhat secularized in the church, which is leading some of these well-known singers and pastors and Christian authors to have doubts. In the music video you just saw, John Cooper, who is the lead singer for Skillet, he wrote a commentary reaction to the whole Marty Sampson and Joshua Harris situation, which is getting a lot of attention on social media, a lot of attention. He said, I quote, it is time for the church to rediscover the preeminence of the word and and to value the teaching of the word. Cooper wrote, we need to value truth over feeling, truth over emotion. And what we're seeing now is the result of the church raising up influencers who did not supremely value truth, who have led a generation also to not believe in the supremacy of the truth. And now those disavowed leaders are proudly still leading and influencing bodily, uh, boldly away from the truth. 
The church, Cooper argued, this is Cooper talking, too often looks to the wrong leaders for biblical guidance. My conclusion, this is what he's saying, my conclusion, all of us as Christians, we must stop making worship leaders and thought leaders or influencers or cool people or relevant people the most influential people in Christendom. That's a strong statement. But here's what you have to ask yourself. Is it truth? See? Is it truth? Truth doesn't necessarily offend, but it will challenge. Truth will challenge your thought process. You know, because I always question many leaders or regardless of what area of ministry you're in, how do you show that you love God? How do you show you love God? Why? Because you're on the platform? Why? Because you're really active out there? Let me tell you how you show you love God. Very simple. You ready? It's called intimacy. Say intimacy. That's how you demonstrate you love God. What do you mean by intimacy? Well, there needs to be communication, right? Communication. You know, we actually set aside time aside to not just read God's word, meditate over it, but allow for the Holy Spirit to speak into your life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That doesn't happen. It doesn't happen while I'm here preaching. Are you hearing me? It doesn't happen when I'm active. It happens when I simply set time aside to develop intimacy with the Lord. That's how I show God, first and foremost, I love him. Why? Because I'm demonstrating humility. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But I'm demonstrating humility. Why do you think Jesus put that kid in front of everybody? He didn't call Peter. Hey, Peter, come here. You got to be like Peter. Bold, strong. No, no, he didn't do that, did he? He didn't throw any of the apostles in front of that group. He said, no, you got to be like a child. In my assessment, the church, meaning the body of Christ, needs to return to the fundamental teachings of the word and make sure each of us are following through on those kingdom commands. And you don't need this platform to do that. Is anybody listening this morning? Change, write this down, starts with childlike faith. Change starts with childlike faith. It is initiated with childlike faith. Now, for the believer, there's a difference between acting childish and having childlike faith. Can anybody relate to what I'm talking about? I'm going to repeat that. There's a difference between acting childish and having childlike faith. Most children tend to be humble. So childlike faith starts, I said it before, and I'll say it again, start, childlike faith starts with humility. Okay, the humility, please hear this, to accept that you are wrong and God is right. Amen. Amen. Help me out here. Say, I am wrong and God is right. That's where humility starts. All right. The humility to accept that God is right when he says you have to be born again. John 3, 3. The humility to accept that God is right when he says you have to be converted you have to change as a matter of fact ephesians 4 22 says to put off the old self which belongs to your former manner everybody say former manner that means used to be of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires humility when god is right when he says you have to renew your mind and can i tell you something the only way you can renew your mind is with the word of god There's no other tool that will do that. I could care less how spirit-filled you are. I could care less how many tongues you can speak. There are plenty of of tongue-filled Christians that are backslidden today. (laughs) And it has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. Humility, when when you can say God is right, when he says you have to surrender your will to him. Luke 9, 23 talks about denying 
yourself. That's what it means to surrender your will to him. Now, you may sit here because if you've ever heard Pastor Vega preach before, you probably get that Pastor Vega tends to stay on a certain theme. Yes. And you know why? Because you can sit there and say, uh, you know, Pastor Vega, I've heard that before. No, no, no. My question to you, why are you not doing it? Are you hearing me? Why are you not, not doing it? Turn your neighbor and tell him. Kiss it. Go ahead and tell him. You can tell him. Go ahead. Yes. You're not keeping it simple. Okay? You're not keeping it simple. You're not doing, you know, it because you still are acting childish instead of childlike. And when you don't surrender and do things God's way as opposed to wanting to do it your way, I hate to tell you this, but you're not childlike. You are childish according to God's word. Childish is when you want to hear truth, but you still want to do your own things and do things your own way. Well, he's not having any of that because how many know that he wrote the book? Amen. It was Jesus who inspired and wrote the book, right? While he is not having it, okay, but here's the thing that you have to understand about the danger of remaining childish. When you start acting spiritually childish, you begin to ask many questions that will lead you to say, are you ready? Did God say? Did God say? Uh, Doesn't that sound familiar? Let's turn the clock back 6,000 years. Didn't someone say, did God say? Isn't it interesting that now you have Christian leaders saying, did God say? Are you hearing me this morning? Did God say? Uh, Did God say you have to be born again? Yeah, John 3, 3. Did God say to not forsake the fellowshipping with the brethren? Yeah, Hebrews 10, 25. Did God say to obey his commands? Uh, yeah, John 14, 15. Did God say to read my word and renew your mind? Yeah, Romans 12, 2. Did God say? Let me tell you something. You need to make sure you're on the Jesus level with this because Satan will tell you to respond, did God say? But Jesus will tell you to respond, it is written. That's Jesus' response. Jesus don't, did, did God? No. Jesus' response is, it is written. So every time the enemy wants to throw a thought confusion bomb into your head. You need to say, Mm-mm, it is written. Say, it is written. Now, check this out. If you got nothing written coming in, then there's going to be nothing written coming out. Are you hearing me? Say, so, you know, when I hear of Christians that get so preoccupied with so many things, And they don't take time to get the word of God to really strengthen their mind. Because let me tell you something. One of the things that the word of God will do for you is not only make you strong in the word, but it will give you a peace of mind. Peace of mind. I don't get rattled by all the stuff that I see. Whether it's leaders falling out, you know, politicians saying whatever they say. And can I tell you something? You know, folks, the, the body of Christ needs to mature. You know, when you see all this stuff going on with politics, how many know that Christians with a renewed mind, are not to react emotionally to these things. Are you hearing me? You have the infilling of the Holy Spirit. You have the Word of God. That should filter how you respond, not how you react. There's a difference between respond and react. I don't react, and I don't necessarily respond. But if you ask me a question, then I'm going to give you a straightforward answer. And I'm not going to budge. I'm not going to skip over my words. I'm not going to trip. I'm going to say, well, the word of God says this. So I believe that this is what we should be doing. Is anybody listening out there? 
It's not about who's right or who's wrong. Okay, it's about knowing what is written. That is why you need to kiss it. Can I hear an amen out there? Look what Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 says. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, say all your ways. It says submit to him. And you got to love this. And he will make your path straight. The question is, do you trust him? The question is, are you leaning on him? Or you're leaning on your own understanding. See, when you start trying to figure things out on your own, that's where you give room for the enemy to mess with your head. And all these guys that are wondering about who they are and all this stuff, they just gave the the enemy a little room to mess with their minds instead of just trusting God at his word. That's where you need to get to. This is why Jesus is trying to say when he puts that kid in front of us all, you need to become a child and that there are things you as a believer need to be taught and told to do. And you don't question them. You just do them because you trust him. Let me ask you something. How many of us get irritated when your kids keep asking why? You know, you give them a command, right? It's a command. And they be like, why? Then after you explain it to them, why? How many know that where they're trying to get you to is to say, oh, forget it. Are you hearing me? Say, why? Where does that come? That's not childlike, by the way. That is childishness. See, childish is when you want to have an answer to everything or when you don't want to submit to what's right simply because you just don't like it. Whereas childlike is having an attitude of humility, which leads to submission, which ends up with trusting. Can I tell you something? In my personal opinion, I think one of the greatest stories of submission, okay, one of the greatest has to be Abraham's son. Isaac, that was his name, right? Abraham's son. I want you to think about that. Put yourself in Isaac's shoes for a moment. Isaac knows what it means to bring, do a sacrifice to the Lord, right? So, you know, he's heading up to that hill with his dad, you know, sees the rope, sees the wood, but he doesn't see the lamb. So he asked the question, uh, hey, dad, see the rope, see the wood. What's up with the sacrifice? And Isaac's, you know, Isaac is, is, is wondering, right? Because he's probably like, man, there's not a ram or a sheep for miles here, Right? And he's getting curious and concerned at the same time. Abraham just says, you know what? God will provide. And let me tell you something. You got to admire Isaac. Isaac demonstrated childlike faith. He's like, okay. And he went along with it. Can you imagine what his thought process was? When Abraham laid him on that altar, ready to sacrifice him, you know, but yet he trusted his father's best intentions. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? Every one of us has to entrust our father's best intentions. Sometimes it might not look exactly the way we'd like to see it, but in the end, we still have to learn to trust him. That's childlike faith. When you surrender your will to God, you're not giving up anything. You're trusting him like a son or a daughter trusts a parent's counsel or even a parent's advice. That's why when true change is taking place, write this down, you become a follower. You become a follower. A follower is simply an imitator. 
you know, you need to ask the question, are you imitating Christ to the best that you can in your personal life and your public life? You know, what does the world think about you? What do, you, what do your secular friends think about you? What do they think when you post stuff on Facebook or Instagram or whatever? You know, you're posting things out there. You're, you're revealing yourself. And you have to ask yourself, what impression, what, what opinion are they going to have of that? Because what you do, how you react, what you approve of, and what you don't will say who you are in Christ. That's why Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 says, follow God's example, therefore as dearly loved children. And here's what you have to see about God's word. When God gives you a command, he gives you the instruction on how to do it, right? It says, follow God's example, therefore as dearly loved children. Now, if it, stay, if it stopped there, we'd be like, well, how do you do it? <laughs> the apostle Paul answers the question. Verse 2, walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's make sure we're reading the part two of all the commands. Are you hearing me this morning? You got to read the part two. So he, he not only tells us what to do, but how to do it. Now, when we walk in love, how many of you know that you experience love? See, check this out, guys. When you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are experiencing the greatest endowment of love that you will ever experience. Why? Because Jesus Christ took all your sins, past, present, and the few that you're probably going to commit tomorrow. Are you hearing me? Okay. He took it all to the cross so that when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, okay, or even the throne of God, guess what? Those sins will not be held against you because a price was paid for all those sins. How many of you know that is the greatest endowment of love because he didn't deserve it, we deserve it, but he took the weight of it anyway. That's powerful. I don't know about you, but that's a lot of motivation for me to want to love God, to want to serve God. I don't need to be reminded constantly. I'm just thinking, man, look what this man did for me, you know, and look where it starts. Romans 4, 5, 8. Look what it says. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered Blessed is the one who sinned. The Lord will never, everybody say never, never count against them. What an endowment of love you and me are experiencing. And this is important because everything that we do for the kingdom of God has to be fueled and initiated by love in order for it not to feel like a burden. This is why understanding grace is important. We need to understand grace. Here are three benefits that we have from grace that should be the initiator of why we respond to God's influence. Because of grace, God sent his son Jesus to save us. How many appreciate that this morning? Because of grace, God sent his Holy Spirit to make us holy. Make us holy. Because of grace, believers in Christ will live with God forever. These are all grace gifts. Notice what I underline here, not the end But the means, question, who is doing all the work here? He is. That's right. Endowment of love. So now that God has done his part, now it's time for us to do ours in entering his kingdom. So we change, we become, and we enter into the kingdom. Now here's the thing, though. Your attitude towards God needs to change 
before you could become kingdom-minded. See, entering his kingdom presently, present day, is about a mindset, okay? Here's where many Christians fail at getting in. You may call yourself a Christian. You may read your Bible and have your devotions. You may even do quite a bit of servicing in the kingdom of God. But let's read Philippians 2, 5 through 8 to see what it means exactly to enter the kingdom. Because it leads me to my second point. Number two, simplify your faith with your relationship with the church. Simplify your faith with your relationship with the church. The church is the body of Christ and that body of Christ is you. Turn your neighbor and says, we are about to talk about you. Go ahead, tell them. They won't get offended. Keep going. The church is not this building. The church is not a building with colored windows and a big cross on top of it. Okay? The church is represented by the body of Christ, which is you and me. Now, check this out. Philippians 2, 5, 3. It says... In your relationships with one another, and let me emphasize the word relationships. Watch this. In your new relationships, because how many know that when you became born again, you were supposed to develop new relationships? Amen? That's a given, by the way. Can I tell you something? You cannot. And I'm saying this not to be legalistic, so please don't, don't get me wrong. But anybody knows that when, I, when I'm going to say something, I'm going to tell it like it is. You cannot enter the kingdom of God, be born again, and not have new relationships. Matter of fact, it's scriptural. It says, in your new relationships or in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in an appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Now, what does that mean for you and me? Here's what it means. Are you ready? Jesus Christ made everything within reach to ensure that the Father can be in contact with the church, the new body of Christ. Again, this was his priority. His priority was to connect. And the way he had to do that is by dying for your sin and my sin, giving us full access to the throne of God and also being dwelled with the Holy Spirit. Now, how many know that's powerful? Now, What is our priority? The priority with the believer is that you be connected to the church so that you can be connected with God. Here comes a strong statement. I hope you can handle it. You cannot be connected with God unless you are connected to a church body. You cannot be connected with God unless you're... And what I mean by church, connected to a church body, please get this, not that you attend service every Sunday for 90 minutes. And that's the end of it. Okay? And that's the end of it. That's just spectator. You're just being a spectator. No, you need to get connected with this body, okay? Since you became born again, I have to ask you this question. Who have you been hanging out with? Who are your friends? I'm not saying get rid of your secular friends. No. But you have to have some people now that can relate to who you are. Because remember, you and me are supposed to have the mindset of who? Of who? Pentecostal response, please. Well, half of you is. Okay, we're getting there. We're supposed to have the mindset of Christ. Here it comes. Are you ready? Who do you hang out with that have the mindset of Christ? You got to hang out with some folks that have the mindset of Christ. See? And I got to tell you right now, if you're not, 
connected with somebody in the body of Christ that has the mindset of Christ. You have not entered the kingdom of God just yet. Because if you're not making any effort to hang out with believers, hate to tell you this, but you have not totally entered into the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is the present day church body. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 and 22. Lays it out clearly here. Lays it out very, very clearly here. Here's what it says. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building, he's referring to the body, is joined together. Say joined together. And rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two, everybody say you two. No, but look at your neighbor and tell them, you two, go ahead. Here's where you're, listen, it's talking about you. It says, you two, okay, are being built, how? Together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Oh, folks, man, I hope you're getting this. Holy Spirit ain't floating around there in the air. Holy Spirit isn't here. He's not there. He's not over there. He is in here. And when you connect with the body of Christ, isn't it interesting that that is how the church becomes stronger? There's a revelation right there. The church doesn't become stronger when 20,000 people are worshiping God in an opening arena. The church becomes stronger when we connect. When we connect. So if you're wondering why we emphasize groups here at Faith Church This is precisely why. It helps us to kiss it. Can I hear an amen out there? It helps us to kiss it. Get connected. Get into a group. Expand this body beyond the four walls of this church. Attend midweek. Attend activate. Elevate. Men's group. Women's group. Home groups. Whatever, you know, fits into your category. But I believe we're all one category. Can I hear an amen out there? What are you doing after service on weekends? Is Is this it? Because if this is it. Yes, you're missing something, and you're missing a tremendous benefit. Make some church friends and stay connected so that when doubt tries to creep in, you'll have people reminding you of who you are in Christ. Perhaps the problem with Marty and Joshua is they were idolized too much instead of having a few close friends to hold them scripturally accountable. I really believe that's the issue. I had a meeting, I want to say about a month ago. With a very good friend of mine. We've been friends for over 25 years. Big worship leader. Especially in the Spanish Christian community. She's out there. If I mention her name, you would know it. And if I mentioned the church where she leads worship, you would know it. Okay? We've been friends for over 25 years. So she gave me a call because she wanted to meet with me. Um, wasn't sure why. But, you know, we met. Me and my wife met with her. And uh, she's doing this big project. And she just wanted to run it by me. Because, you know... I, I'm a person that will question people's motive for why they do things. And I have no problem. I don't care who you are. I don't care how big you are, you know. And so what's interesting is that in this conversation, you know, she's telling me about all this. And I asked straight out, what's the purpose of this? You want to record a live album? Is that the purpose? I mean, what, what, what's behind this? And then she began to sort of detail for me what was behind all this. And after I heard her 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 story, or her, 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 what God has laid in her heart, I told her, you know, I, I, I'm so glad that you shared that with me. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I began to lose faith, not in Christ, 
but in a lot of you worship leaders, you know, about your motives of why you do what you do. So when she laid out what God has laid in her heart, you know, about her even getting into the fivefold ministry, I say, you know, you're on the right path. So let me tell you how you stay in that right path. And I, and I just spoke right into her. I was straight out. Well, anyway, she knew what she was getting herself into when she decided to meet with me. Okay. But in the end, talk about humility and childlike, she says, Pastor Vega, thank you for being honest with me because I needed to hear that. I, I knew that something was missing, you know, because she gets a lot of attention, a lot of idolizing, you know. But I, I knew something was missing. I, I felt like somebody needs to tell me something that I'm not used to hearing. That's called accountability, you know. And I told her, you know, I'm really glad that we had this meeting. You sort of restored my faith in some of you guys anyway, okay. Because this is not about the platform. This is about fulfilling what God is mandating each and every one of us to fulfill. Are we learning something this morning? When sin overtakes your life, you know, this is why you need to be connected. Because you need a few people to remind you who you still are in Christ. You need people to encourage you. This is what connecting into the kingdom is all about. Last point, number three. Simplify your faith with your relationship with the world. Okay? With your relationship with the world. Now, this is an interesting one. Because the church, and I'm literally speaking about this place here, and I'm going to borrow a little segment from my midweek so that you can start attending it. Can I hear any men out there? Okay? This... You know, how many of us like salt? You can, it's okay, it's not a sin. Somebody like, is he going to point me out? Is there there a sin thing with salt? Am I going to get disconnected if I'm eating, if I'm using salt on my food? (laughs) No, it's a good thing, all right? It's good, it's good. Okay, we all like salt. Can I tell you something? Ain't nothing better than salt. I'm McDonald's French fries. Can I hear any man out there? <laughs> Let me tell you something. That fry is like any other fry until you put the salt on it. But there's something about salt and McDonald's French fries that's heaven. All right? Not Burger King French fries. Not even Chick-fil-A French fries. It's all about the McDonald's French fries. Because let me tell you something. When you drive by McDonald's, You're not really thinking about the burger. You're thinking about fries. But here's the thing, right? The Bible says, right, that we're supposed to be the salt of the earth, right? So I'm going to get to that verse in a second. But I want you to think of this place as one big salt shaker. How many of us know what a salt shaker is? There's small ones. There's big ones, right? But you got to shake that thing, get the salt out, put it on the meat, put it on the food, whatever it is that you like it on, right? Funny because I heard last week there was a rush to all the Spanish delis as a result of Pastor Rich Perez's sermon last week, right? Talked about all that food that he was talking about, right? But here's the thing salt shaker. So you need the church so that you can get salty, right? And stay salty, but you are not to remain in the salt shaker forever. You hear what I just said? You're not to remain in the salt shaker forever. But Jesus reveals to us in Matthew of the danger when you don't truly get with the purpose of why you are here. He says in Matthew 5.13, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. 
Now, here's the premise of this verse. It is what most Christians fail to see about this scripture. It says, you supposedly became something when you became born again, and then you lost it. But if salt lost its taste, it's talking about losing something that is, spiritually speaking, very significant. Think about something that you lose that's significant. Anybody ever go crazy losing it when you lose your phone? Yeah, come on, you can admit it. You know I'm talking about you. Matter of fact, I think I'm talking about all of these, right? You lose your phone, you don't know where you placed it, you are going crazy. Now, when I don't know where I placed my phone, because I don't think I actually lose my phone, right? I got this little thing called lookout, and I sound the alarm, right? The only time it gets scary is when I'm at work and my wife is home alone. And all of a sudden, this thing starts screaming. And she's like, what is that? Right? And then she'll call me, did you forget your phone again? I said, oh, you found it. Thank you. (laughs) Significant, right? It says you supposedly became something when you became born again and then you lost it. You know, but if salt lost its taste, let me tell you what this is talking about. If people are not taking your walk with the Lord seriously, it's because you have lost your influence. And this is the premise of this verse. It's about influence. Everybody say influence. See, because you see, the easy way of losing your saltiness, meaning your spiritual influence, is when we get spiritually diluted. You know you can get spiritually diluted? In other words, here here, here it comes. You ready? You get so many different words from so many different people and from so many different books and from so many different devotionals. You're, you're feeding yourself all this stuff, but yet the most important thing, great commission, great command, gets suppressed all the way to the bottom. Spiritual dilute. You know the thing about salt, which is interesting? It's chemical properties do not change. Are you aware of that? That the chemical properties of salt don't change. Hence, salt is always salt. Yet it becomes more tasteless the more it is diluted. How does it get diluted? You ever drink salt in a cup of water? You'll taste it, right? Oof, like, ooh, that's strong. But if you put 50 gallons of water in a teaspoon of salt, how many know that you're not going to taste that salt anymore? This is what's happening in the body of Christ. In much the same way, the, that salt can be diluted and adulterated, rendering it useless. So too can Christians lose their witness when they become diluted by the world, adulterated by worldliness, confused by worldly ideology. And because depending on where you are in your spiritual growth, you can be a believer and still be operating in the kingdom of the evil one, and you're not even aware of it. So in conclusion, okay, keep this in mind. We are operating in two kingdoms. There's two kingdoms we're operating. Kingdom of God, kingdom of the devil. You got to choose which one you're going to be in. First of John 5, 19 says, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's scripture. That's New Testament, by the way. That's not Old Testament. John 17, 14, I've given them your word. That's you. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Here's a great revelation for all of you this morning. What makes you stand out is not that you're a Christian. What makes you stand out and become sort of little hated is when you begin to practice the word of God. That's what makes you stand out. But in the end, it strengthens your bond with God, your bond with the church. And this is how we are supposed to kiss it. Everybody say kiss it.
Amen? Did you get something this morning? Let's stand to our feet. Amen?